0: Hey friends, happy Thursday. Hope you're doing well. Today's sponsor is one that I'm super familiar with and I have personally worked with them, partnered with them really in launching over a dozen campuses. Also, I'm quick to refer to them when churches are looking at doing portability. And in this season, a lot of churches are considering this. This is a season where we're looking for new solutions and our friends over at Portable Church Industries are people that you need to talk to. They sell entire audiovisual lighting, kids' environments, community storage systems really everything from soup to nuts. Uh, I'm not sure where that saying comes from, but they sell it all. <laughs> they do not only consulting, but then they'll actually get in the weeds and do the entire system design for you. Uh, launching Portably allows you to launch fast and to launch low cost. The team at Portable Church is literally waiting by the phones right now to help you. They want to help you solve your Portable Church problems in 2020. So reach out to them today, portablechurch.com forward slash Unseminary. That's portablechurch.com forward slash Unseminary to find resources that they've used to really provide custom tailored solutions for multi-site churches. All right, friends, let's jump in with today's episode. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week we bring you uh, leaders who we think are going to make a difference in your ministry, and today is no exception. I'm super excited to have Dr. Ryan Hartwig back with us. He was on a couple years ago with a book called Teams That Thrive, and he's got a brand new book that I want to make sure that you hear more about. Ryan, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Rich. Always great to be with you.
0: I'm so glad. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us the Ryan Hartwig story. <laughs> Give us a sense of of who you are. Sure. Okay. Well, I won't take too
2: long in telling you that story. But uh, so I'm a professor of communication. I've studied in uh, group and organizational communication. I also am an administrator as well. So I'm a I'm a leader. I'm a person who is doing and not just studying um, as well. So currently, I'm at Colorado Christian University where I'm teaching. I'm also the dean of one of our academic schools out here. As well, but several years ago, as I was doing my doctoral studies and so on, really got interested in uh, in teams and groups and collaborative organizations within the church. And so Mm -hmm. I studied that for a while, as you mentioned, you know, wrote a book several years ago about teams and leadership teams in the church and so on. And then I've shifted and been thinking about groups um, and so on. So that's kind of that's a little bit of my story.
0: Nice. Well, for folks that listen to the podcast, you know this isn't uh, this not the kind of podcast where we're just constantly having authors on. We could literally every week have a different author on, but uh, try to avoid that. But you know, you're one of those people that I value what you have to say because um, you not only are. Um, researched and you know based in actual facts as opposed to just opinions but then you you connect that to reality and help leaders apply those lessons and so i'm excited to kind of unpack that a little bit so the current uh, book that you're talking about is leading small groups that thrive can i be honest sometimes i feel like i i am in groups that are great and some groups that are bad uh, why is that what what kind of what describes a group that is either a hit or a miss
2: yeah, absolutely. I think that's really what, what, what spurred on our research as well, knowing that there are some groups that go great and that are just absolute hits, as you said, and then others that just kind of, ugh, there's not a whole lot that's going on there. And so, you know, I, I guess I would start in terms of kind of the difference, what makes a hit versus a miss and so on. I'd start in terms of kind of the outcome and then maybe we mm-hmm. can talk a little bit more about the process as well. But I think really the outcomes, the things I would, I would say is well, I want to see really three things in those outstanding kind of groups. The first one is that people are growing in some way together. So whether they're really taking kind of um, beginning steps in faith or they've been they've been in the faith for a long time, but they're growing in their discipleship. There's at some level they're taking some sort of steps in terms of their growth and the group is is helping those people to take those steps in their growth. Probably the second thing I would see is that we see some sort of one anothering or some semblance of community there that a group is a place where people are being cared for within that group in some way depending on varying things going on in life and so on but they're being cared for they're being um, seen and um, and known and so on and finally the third thing is that that group is thinking about how it can be a blessing in some way to other folks. So it's not just about the members of the group. So those first couple things I mentioned, right, growing together and, mm-hmm. and practicing one another's and well, being in community and so on is great, but that's about the people within inside the group, but God, how can they be a blessing to people outside? And really what we see is when, when, when you, when you have kind of those three elements working together. And interestingly, that last, that last element, that notion of how do we be a blessing to others actually helps, the group to be able to to practice more of those one another's and be more in community and grow as well. But those are kind of the outcomes that we would see in those those kind of hit groups as you mentioned.
0: Mm, interesting. Now, so I would agree. Like, so these are I would say pillars that we hear. I think a lot of people talk about groups. They would say, "Hey, that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping they'll take steps in the relationship with Jesus. That they'll build closer relationships and that they'll make a difference in the world around us in some way or another." But it, but again, it, there seems to be some groups that are able to achieve that or able to make that happen, um, and that's some that aren't. What have you found through your work, uh, maybe from a, a process point of view, from a really from a leadership point of view, as, as a church leader who's listening to say, hey, I want our groups to thrive, uh, what would you say are some of those uh, steps in that process that help churches have groups that thrive uh, kind of beyond even just an individual group?
2: Yeah, sure. So maybe I'll talk about two things and we can see where, where our conversation goes there. So I think the sure. first one, probably an error that I see oftentimes, is that, that groups are talked about as the place where the church is community, where people are in community. And at some level, and I realize I might, I might step on some toes here, but that maybe is one of the worst things you can actually say about church, <laughs> is that it's just this place. But well, we're going to get together we're gonna, and we're going to be in community because I think, you know, as, as, as life gets busy, um, people have all different kinds of responsibilities and experiences and so on that they're walking through. You know, that like going to be involved in community, oftentimes is something that you can kind of be like, well, I'm not sure that's essential right now. I mean, I guess we're in this COVID season, mm. right? We're thinking about what's essential, what's not essential. And I think for a lot of people, hey, going and being in friendship or going and being in community with people maybe that I don't even know that well is really not one of those essential kinds of things. And so oftentimes people say it's really not that important. And so, and so the, the opposite of that, or I guess or the fix to that, is being mm. able to be really clear about a really compelling purpose. Something mm. that draws people in and it says, I, I can't miss this. I can't, I can't not be there on Wednesday night for myself or for my friends who are also there because I'm playing an important role in their life and they're playing an important role. In my life, and so I would really encourage the the church leaders who are listening to really think about you know to to what extent have you really been able to craft this sort of a compelling purpose that would draw people into, that would draw people into your groups. And I think you know one of the biggest mm-hmm. ways to get to that, and our research shows this too, is by thinking about not just what is the group going to do for those who are inside the group, but how is it also going to be a blessing to others. Let me give you an example of that. So so um so last fall. Um, uh, the school that I was at, they, the, 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 guys were doing this men's group and they were saying, Hey, we're going to start at six or seven a.m. I don't remember exactly what time it was. And so mm-hmm. if I think about that and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to give that, that Friday morning. If it's just going to be m- for me and for my benefit and so on, it may be hard. It may be easy for me to sleep in and say, ah, I'm not so sure mm-hmm. that that matters so much. But if that gets mm-hmm. reframed and says, What's going to happen on those Friday mornings is going to maybe maybe shape what shape kind of me in terms of my relationship with my wife or the kind of father that I am mm-hmm. or the kind mm-hmm. of leader that I am or whatever else it starts to feel a whole lot more again that word essential a whole lot more like necessary for me to show up and no I can't miss that so that's like I think one of these core core things that we saw and in fact one of the ways we saw this in our research we laid this out in the book is that those groups that actually tended to to, to privilege some sort of an externalized purpose, whether that was be ministry or evangelism or whatever else, actually showed some of the greatest growth in terms of discipleship and fellowship and so on. So it's kind of weird, right? You know, like you yeah. focus on something else and you actually get what it is that you really want. And so I think that'd be the first thing I would say would be really kind of honing in on what's the sort of compelling purpose. Why should people dedicate themselves to these groups? This okay, I love this. I uh, can, we, before we that's... jump
0: before we leave that yeah. I'd love to jump. I'd love to ask a question around this. So as a, a group leader as a, you know, person who leads an individual group, uh, not necessarily a, a, a person who leads a system of groups. Uh, one of the things that has struck me over the years is there seems to be a disconnect between the way we talk about groups, and then people's actual experience in groups. And I wonder if this purpose is a piece of that. So I often hear us communicate about groups as if they're like, oh my goodness, this is going to uh, turn your life upside down. Like this is the, the, like you're, you can't grow without this thing. This is the most important thing in your life. That, that kind of language. And, and it's, it almost gets hyperbolic, right? It's like this crazy over the top language, but, but a lot of times actually an individual uh, night at group um, doesn't have that kind of fireworks at the end of the night kind of experience. It, 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 it has a um, at least my own experience has been it really, its impact on me is over the trajectory of the group. It's not in any individual time. Um, and so it, what's your reflection on that? Like, is there a disconnect? Do we oversell groups? Do we over communicate about them? In some ways, I, I've I've joked with people. It's almost like, I think it's almost like we need to reduce people's expectation and say, you know what? There's going to be come nights where this is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to wish you just stayed home and watch the football game or whatever else is on. Uh, but actually, by like you say, by investing, you're, uh, you're going to to connect to a bigger purpose. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that you make a really astute observation there. Um so and what I think one of the challenges too is the way that many churches have structured groups, which I get, which are short-term kinds of things. We're going to do this for 10 mm-hmm. weeks, 15 mm-hmm. weeks, you know, it's a semester. So it's easy in and easy out. But if you understand really anything about groups and how long it takes for groups to be able to gel and move to a place where they able they're really able to kind of be about some sort of a purpose, it typically takes longer than that. And so I mm-hmm. think that we have to think about this in kind of two different ways. One way is to say, are we able to think about groups where they're able to, to, to start well and then be together long enough where you mm-hmm. can start to have some of that real transformative kind of life-on-life relationship without mm-hmm. it extending so long that, that, the, that the impact tends to tail off. In fact, mm-hmm. we saw that in our research is that the longer the groups were together, the less this is after a, after a significant period of time, but the less that they began to, whether they were contributing to people's spiritual growth. So, kind of in that in that earlier kind of season, if you were thinking about this over a couple of years, maybe maybe one, two, three years, you're going to see some pretty extraordinary growth. So, one way to think about this is to say, how do we help groups stay together or be people be in community for the long haul? And in so doing, we have to moderate what do we expect that could happen in these first. 10, 12, 15 kinds of weeks. But here's the good news. If we structure those 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 first sessions, 10, 12, 15 weeks well, we probably can start in those, it kind of near the end of that session for people to really start to have really good conversations and, and being able to start to experience like it's really helpful for me to be here. I'm being challenged in good ways. Or I'm being able to mm-hmm. input into other people's lives in good ways. I'd like to stick around and see if I can keep this relationship moving. Because if that, if that kind of, if that starts to happen, then that the, then the groups are going to be able to experience that kind of, um, more, more kind of transformation and really powerful kinds of community experiences. But at the same time, we have to moderate what ha- the expectations of people early on. And and I guess that kind of leads me into the second thing I was going to say too, in terms of, you know, think kind of systemically, what can we do to really help? We have to be able to launch groups really, really well right off the bat. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, people come into communities and they walk in and they are concerned very quickly, like, is this, am I going to fit here? Is there a plan here? Is it worth my time here? And I think sometimes when we have leaders who walk in and they're like, well, I'm going to I'm going to give my best shot. I've never done this before. We'll kind of see how it goes. And, and without a great plan, the people come in and they're like, okay, uh, boy, this is, isn't exactly what I thought it would be. Maybe I'll mm. stick it out for the next 10 weeks. I'll, I'll at least show up to kind of manage my commitment or show my commitment there. But by the, but, but by the end of that time, they're just like, yeah, I'm ready to move on. And so, so that would be a really, a, a second thing that I think is so important is really thinking well, about how do we begin? How do we help people to feel comfortable? And that goes down to all the things like, you know, people want to know what, what what's the food plan? And what's the kid plan? and What are you expecting me to do? And how prepared do I need to be? And are you going to ask me to pray? And what kinds of settings? Hmm. And being so upfront and helping people understand that stuff early is so helpful to, to get the group off to a good start.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Because I think um, one of the things I've seen over, over years in group um, life is, um, oftentimes, I think by definition, the people who are running the groups ministry are people who like groups. Um, and they are, and so they look at everything. And I think w- this is just in general in leadership, we look at life through our own lens. And so we looked at it through, well, what would we need to go into a group? But actually, uh, there are a lot of people who are not into this experience. They want to be, but they're just like you say, they don't know what to expect. I remember in my own group, we had, um, this was a couple group cycles ago. Um, we had a, a woman in the group who I think, you know, was fairly introverted. And I, I'm a fairly extroverted person. I can talk to people all day long. And, um, you know, we had sent out, this was early on, like you say, in those first 12 weeks, we had sent out the first couple weeks, we had sent out like kind of get to know you questions like, hey, we're going to talk about this, get to know you question. And it was, we were just trying to, you know, kind of stimulate conversation and give people a chance to think about it. Well, there was a week I didn't send out the get to know you question ahead of time. And it, and it came to the, the, that point. And at the beginning and I was like, oh, and I just, you know, and it was just some off the cuff, you know, what's your favorite Skittle or something like a totally inconsequential question. And I said, oh, and I, so I asked her, I went to her, I said, oh, what do you think? And she literally was like shaking. And she said, oh, I, I didn't get that question ahead of time. I, I, I don't know. And it was a lesson for me as a leader because I was like, oh my, yes, I was not, I did not do a good job helping onboard her, right? I, I looked at, it. it's not a big deal for me to ask what's my favorite Cuddles color Skittle, but that's not the case with everyone else.
2: Right. Absolutely. So I, yeah, exactly. So for some people that's so overwhelming. And so, right. and so what great leaders will do there, I think as you, as you recognize is they will make sure that they prepare people to be able to be successful. I kind of think about a group a little bit. So I mentioned earlier, I'm a teacher as well. You know, when, when students come in on the first day of class, the, the question they're asking is, how can I be successful in this class? You know, oh. and so I try to structure that entire first session around what are my expectations and what, will, what, what do you need to know? What do you need to be able to understand to be able to be successful in this particular in this particular course? And I think sim- similar kind of a thing for groups. As people are coming together, as you're inviting the group in, as you're sending them kind of a maybe an email or a text and say, hey, our first gathering is a Tuesday at seven at so-and-so's house, that's a time you're really able to say, here's what it looks like to be successful. I probably wouldn't use those mm. exact words, right? But this right. is this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going yes. to move forward. And so people like that lady you're, you're, you're referring to has this opportunity to prepare herself and to be ready. And you're going to have some other folks who are like, they're not even going to read the email. They don't care. They're (laughs) They're super gregarious. Like no problem. Here we go. That's fine for them to be able to to, to walk in there. But the other person needs to be able to be prepared. And really that, that extends over those first few weeks of, you know, I would just encourage any, any group leader who's listening to be over the top in your communication early on over those first few weeks, because that really is going to set the stage and help people understand the expectations, the structure by which how you're going to go about your group. And people then are going to be able to feel much more comfortable and engage in that uh-huh. space. Because that's what you need them to do. If they never get comfortable to fully come on in and engage that space, your group is going to flounder. It's going to be all about, it's going to, all the ownership is going to remain on that leader. And you're never going to kind of get the groupiness that, um, that, that becomes pretty powerful in terms of life change and so on.
0: I like that. I like the word groupiness. And I think that's a great um, uh, guide for us as leaders, as we're thinking about leading a church uh, with or of small groups that, hey, we've got to work really hard with our leaders in those first, like you say, 10, 12 weeks uh, to be super structured, to go out of our way to communicate, to give them the resource. Here's your first week email. Here's your second week email. You know, do everything we can do to feed that to them, to make it, uh, you know, as successful as possible. Now, when you were putting this book together, um, you know, in the research process or in the writing, was there anything that stuck out to you that was a bit of a surprise that kind of, Oh, that, that was different than what you thought uh, going in was different than your hypothesis from like a research point of view going in?
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think kind of what I mentioned, what I mentioned prior, well, well, this, 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 I guess, I guess was interesting. So this is going to be, this is going to sound crazy, but we found that we, so we asked people in these groups, how they spent their time. So when you get in your group, how much time do you spend on these various kinds of things? And one of the measures was how much time do you spend discussing logistics? And it it, it it came out that the groups that spent more time discussing logistics actually showed a greater um, contribution to one another's spiritual growth. And that seems crazy. Huh. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's and so interesting. We, we had, yeah. Like, okay, you're sitting there talking about how you're going to... You know, handle the kids and who's bringing what and so on. But what we, what we, as we looked deeper into that, as we did some follow up interviews and so on, really what we saw there emerging was that those groups that had more, more kind of more things to coordinate, more stuff that they were doing that caused them to need to be able to coordinate that during group time were those groups that 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 had, kind of I'll use that word again that I said before, this groupiness, this sense mm. of purpose, the sense that we're doing something together that's so important. We've got to make sure that we've kind of got our ducks in a row here. And so fine, we'll take 10 to 15 minutes in our meeting to think about how it is this next weekend? Maybe we're maybe we're serving some organization, or we're going to bless some people in our community or within our church. We'll take some time to discuss who's going to do that and how that's going to work, and so on. That would be, I think, one of those one of those findings that's like this, this doesn't make any sense at all until you yeah. start to think more deeply about it and yeah. you start to see like this, this notion of a, of a purpose that extends beyond the group and how powerful that is um, for the group to be working together. I'll give you an example, I guess, of that, maybe to make that point a little bit better. So I've got a group of, of, uh, of, of six guys or six of us who we, um, we came together in college. We were a discipleship group in college. We, we, we um, remained just great friends. And uh, every year we get together for an annual trip. And we, we live kind of all over the world, actually. And so our, our communication in between trips can be hit or miss a little bit. But every year in the, in the couple of months leading up to our trip, we've got a plan what we're going to do and who's bringing what and where are we going. Right. And how is this whole thing going to go? Our communication level just rises exponentially. And not mm. just about those logistical matters, but in those moments, right, In those in those text threads and so on, Some will say, oh, yeah, and here's what's going on at work. Would you guys pray for me? Or here's what's going on in my marriage. Would you guys pray for me? And so it's that activity, these things that we've got going on together that actually drives some of that deeper relationship and those deeper sorts of conversations. So I don't know that I can – I mean, I'm not sure I can emphasize this enough. It is so important for every group to be able to say, how can we be a blessing in some way to others? Because that's going to help gel the group and bring that group together and then and then create the spaces and kind of those communication channels for people to connect on the deeper the deeper issues of life
0: (laughs) i love that because that that connects to one of my other kind of um Ongoing, you know, interesting conversations. My, my wife uh, oversees, she's on staff at our church and oversees groups at our church. And so we often have these, you know, the like across the kitchen table talking about different areas. And um, this is one of those areas where I've, I've said to her, I'm like, you know, one of my observations as a group leader over the years is, again, we sell groups as. Come to group on Wednesday night between 730 and nine, um, and your life will be changed. But actually, the groups that have made the biggest difference in my own life, uh, they understand that that's just the beginning relationally and in life, getting in, in each other's life. Like it's the, the, this, the hour and a half, the 90 minutes on Wednesday night is just the appetizer to us. Um, engaging, like you say, out k- doing community service or checking in on each other or, um, you know, when someone has something, a struggle going on in their life, us rallying around them uh, to help, you know, th- those are the areas that actually we see, we see life change take place. Again, I understand from a communication point of view, we can't, we can't, people wouldn't necessarily sign up for like, well, for this really to work, you need to reorient your entire life around these people. Uh, but in a very real way, I think that does, uh, that does pan out. Um, another yeah, area... Curious another area I'd be interested in your thoughts on open groups versus closed groups this seems to be one of those perennial conversations uh, did you find anything in your research so the idea of um, yep. hey our church lists 15 uh, groups and you can go to any one of them at any time find one that works if you don't just pop, you know cancel out that would be an, go find a different group that would be an open group closed groups would say hey we're committed for 18 months to two years or whatever and this is this, this group of 12 people and that's it um, what did your research bear out uh, and, and maybe it's not one or the other, but what about that whole topic?
2: Yeah. So we actually didn't ask about that in particular. So I'll say, I can tell you that the groups that we studied, um, I think the next book groups that were, would be open groups, would be closed groups. Yes. Um, and we, we were looking for practices across all different kinds of models and approaches to groups that would be applicable to various kinds of groups. So, so, so we, we didn't look at that specifically, you know, I guess my, my, my encouragement would just be this related to those two things. If you don't move to some semblance of people being able to stay together over some period of time, some sort of longevity of time, you really do have to kind of manage your expectations around what can happen with constantly open groups, right? Where just anybody can join at any time. It's going to be hard for that group to be able to come together and really to be able to kind of trust each other and 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 have this sort of authenticity and and, and trust and vulnerability with one another without some sort of time together. However, I think we, you want to be really careful, though, at the same time that you don't just put a group of people together and then it's closed and they're together with no sort of external influence or change for that for many, mm. many years. So there's, mm. there's kind of a balance there of, yeah, we maybe, maybe we have kind of a core group of people who are together and we add on a few other folks to that group so that we have this sort of this trust and this vulnerability this established community that other people can be entered into rather than just starting over constantly.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Uh, Another area it's become like the standard question we're asking now on in seminary is so how's COVID impacting all this? Like I would think churches with a great uh, small group structure, and we talked to this about this a little bit before we started recording that groups with a great small group structure uh they're thriving in this season. Are you seeing kind of any impact? Obviously, I understand the book was written pre covid and all that I get that, but even just as you 've continued to uh, you know kind of work and think in this area, what impact are is kind of a group's ministry group structure having uh, on churches in this season kind of the intra covid season?
2: yeah so i think as you as you just said i mean the churches that have robust small group ministries are going to be able to weather this a lot a lot better than those who don't and everybody else is trying to say okay how can we be, how can we be the church in groups you know i think you were mentioning before about you know the a group isn't just something that happens one night but we are a group and i think we're realizing the same thing about the church right we don't just go to church mm. on a sunday but we have to be the church and so how do we be the church and often, you know, I think a lot of us are thinking we'd be the church in these sort of micro communities in some way that, that tend to look like groups. And um, what I would say in terms of in terms of equipping leaders and, and, and helping them to be successful is I think one of, one of the kind of strong thrusts, I think, that we try to say in our work is that leaders really need to be well equipped. Um, you know, I, I realize that we, we always need more leaders. And so we want to try to lower the bar to get more people in and say, hey, it's not a big deal. Go ahead and come on in, <laughs> right? And and you'll be fine. You'll learn what you need to. You'll need learn what you need to know as you go along the way. Um, but I think one of the things we realize with groups is that the leaders just need more and more training in terms of how to manage these group dynamics. And I would say the same thing related to COVID. So you know, there's all these different online small groups now and so on. I think one of the things we I think we all realize is like how much more important it is now to even direct conversation on the Zoom screen. You know, where so mm-hmm. if you're in a living room and you've got 12 people, you can throw a question out there and you can say, hey, anybody thinks, you know, what, what is what do y'all think about this? And somebody is going to chime in and you've got all the nonverbals working and people are thinking, you know, should I jump in, should I not? Who's going to speak? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Well on the Zoom room, you just don't have that. And so that's and true. so the leadership that's required is so much more directive. It is and is 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 really intense you be able to say, okay, now, now Joe, or now Susie, or now Pam, you know, what do you think about this? And really being able to facilitate that conversation well is so important. Um, and so I, I would encourage the, 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 pastors who are listening right now to really think about how are you equipping folks with kind of the, the boots on the ground kind of training mm, in terms of facilitating so online discussions and so on, not just about kind of this overall philosophy of groups and and why groups matter and those kind of things. Yes, that's important, but they really need to know, okay, how do I handle this? And how do I handle a conflict maybe that occurs in the zoom room? That would be a lot easier if we were in a living room where we were, you know, sitting in Starbucks and we were all able to kind of deal with the fullness of our communicative kind of tools and repertoire there, but we don't have that because all we have are faces on a screen. Yeah. And so I think this is a moment where we really got to be thinking, of. and honestly, and maybe it's going to make us even better in terms, of, in terms of really thinking about how do we facilitate good, meaningful discussion um, that moves into uh-huh. good places.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a good a good insight there. Uh, you know, I know in our own environment, um, we've had to be really clear with people around, even just some of the basic stuff on Zoom, like hey, turn on all the lights in your room, and you're going to have to, as a leader, you're going to have to talk louder than you probably normally would. You're not dominating, but you just want to project, and you know the whole, um, you know, I, I you have to call out people's names. It's not just the subtle look to get Ryan's attention. You probably have to say, hey, Ryan, what do you think? Um, you know, and the, which 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 again. And uh, interestingly, our own group—we're just getting back in a couple of weeks, actually, for the first time back, and we've been in Zoom this whole time. And I am intrigued to see what will happen with the conversation because we've lived in a bit of a different pattern. That's that's interesting. That's fascinating. Well, yeah, you've I provided I say this, to that
2: too. Rich, uh-huh. Just real quick. You know, I mentioned earlier that people want to know how to be successful, and anybody mm-hmm. who's going to jo- show up to an online small group wants to know also how they can be successful. Just to encourage leaders to give them those those the, the knowledge that they need to be able to be successful and so right. and so while maybe it, it maybe it seems as though you know well to to talk too much about zoom etiquette and so on is really treating people poorly or treating them like children or whatever else boy that's helpful i think it's really loving because people want to know how can i actually be successful how can i engage yeah, in so this true. really well
0: yeah, that's great. You've provided this a uh, really helpful self-assessment. It's uh, a leading small groups at Thrive supplemental resource self-assessment. Can you kind of talk us through this a little bit? Uh, give us a sense of what this this tool is and and how we could use it. Uh, we'll make it available for folks that are listening in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted in this book to be really, really practical. So we, you know, I think kind of all the work that I do, I don't just want to tell folks what to do based on the research, but I want to go to the next level and help them know how to do it. So. What are the practices that you actually need to put in place? And so we have um, on our website, thrivinggroups.com, there's several different resources there that folks mm-hmm. can, can use there. And I provided to you this, this self-assessment. So you could use this as if you're a group leader, you could take this yourself and you can just kind of think about what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses um, of our group? And we it's it's built upon the five shifts that we discuss in the book that you want to be able to move from, from this to this to be able to help your group ultimately go to the next level or to thrive. And so you could do it as a group leader. If you've got an established group, um, this would be a really bold move, but I would encourage you to, to think about that, print it out, give it to everybody in your group, have everybody mm. uh, go through the assessment, collect it back, and go through and you'll start to see I think these are areas where we're really humming along, we're doing great. Mm. And these are some areas maybe where there are, are some possibilities for us to grow. And then um, we try to give in that assessment as well, just some ways to think about and, um, how you could improve in those different kinds of areas to help your group to be able to go to the next level.
0: Well, I would. we've just barely scratched the surface of this. There's so much in this book. Um, I Listen, I think this is an amazing resource. I think this is the kind of book that um, if I was leading in a church today, I would say, hey, let's buy a bunch of copies and give them to our church leaders. Like you say, they want to be equipped. This is a great way to equip uh, church leaders, small group leaders who are uh, leading in a church. If people want to pick up a copy of this book or multiple copies, where can they do that?
2: Yeah. Um, so you can go to our website, thrivinggroups.com, and you can get all the insight, uh, there that you would need to on the book, but you can get this wherever books are sold. So Amazon or our publisher Zondervan has a site called churchsource.com, and that, that maybe is the best place to be able to buy bulk orders there as well. Also just mentioned to you, if you go to, um, go to our website, thrivinggroups.com, you'll see we also have an online training course for leaders. Yep. And so if mm-hmm. you've got new leaders and you just want to be able to help them. Um, kind of get get on, get get thinking well and get equipped to be able to lead their group and launch a group well. We have that resource there too. So our goal here is just to kind of try to get as many resources out to the church as we can, um, and hopefully help groups be able to just flourish um, and help people grow.
0: Yeah, again, this is a huge resource for uh, for churches. I am just so excited for it. I'm excited to see uh, the impact that it uh, will have. Ryan, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, Rich. It. It's been great.